We're hitting the tasting. We're hitting the tasting, right? Tasting is very important. Like, yeah, very important. The thing I know most about wine is <laughs> the tasting. To another episode of Friends of the Vine Wine Podcast. So, episode 72. This episode features Brenna Quigley. Brenna I had on a while back now, a couple years ago actually. So I won't do too much of an intro, but Brenna is a geologist. She focuses on wine-related geology and terroir. And she actually has her own podcast called Roadside Terroir. Highly suggest you check it out. Especially if you are into conversations with winemakers, if you're into geology, if you're into how much the soil and how much the regions that the grapes are grown affect what ends up in the glass she dives into all of it and uh, it's a great great show currently she is in france or the season is in france she had a another season before that in santa barbara but currently she is in the cote d'or region of france so i highly suggest you check it out and just see how much the terroir affects what ends up in your glass how much it affects the the grapes that are grown and she dives right into all of it so she does an amazing job of it and we talk about it during our podcast. Between her and Levy Dalton, uh, they are the the top of the top when it comes to wine podcasts. So uh, I really appreciate her taking the time and chatting with me. She's uh, always a lot of fun to chat with and full of so much great information. So yeah, let's uh, let's get right into it. You hit record so we don't forget. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know Abe Schoner, right? Yeah, yeah. 13 minutes in to talking with Abe. And I'm like, I'm sorry. And it was good conversation. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm sorry. And and he was, I mean, you know, he's so busy and stuff, right? And so I was already feeling like, you know, I've only got him for so much time and blah, blah, yeah. blah, right? And then I'm like, I'm sorry. We got to start again. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, he's such a, he's such a champ such a nice guy most things happen totally yeah happen. and that's the thing he's he's such a he was so accommodating he's like no problems right so um and he pretty much said exactly the same things verbatim you know so it yeah. was like i didn't miss i didn't miss anything so hard to believe it's been since the fall of 2020 since we last talked you know that that is crazy i know that's crazy that's really crazy so I need to go back and listen to your Santa Barbara series because we just went to California in the summer. I need to re revisit that because now that we've, we've experienced it personally, I think we need to go down and just see it again. Yeah, of course. That's great. Had you been there before or no? Oh, great. No, that's, I think now, I think now we'll, we'll appreciate it that much more because then, and I think that's the thing I like about your, your podcast and your episodes so much is that you get that visual feel right when you're just when you're listening to it you're just getting that visual of going you know going along down the road and stuff right so you really get that feeling right so it's like a good baseball announcer or a good 
hockey announcer or whatever that you can get that visual, right? Yeah, that's what we hope. You know, we hope that it's something that if you've never been somewhere before, you'll feel like you have, you know, you can kind of feel immersed in the place and feel like you have kind of a a genuine connection to the place. And yet at the same time, if you have been there, hopefully it also helps you see new things and hopefully, you know, also gives you kind of a, a fresh perspective. So the goal is that any any experience level can kind of get something new out of it. Yeah. And I think I think regardless, you definitely get that kind of warm, familiar feeling even if, like you said, even if you haven't been there, it feels familiar already. I definitely like, if I get a chance, I definitely like, especially for me with the Okanagan, I, if I can talk to a winemaker in person and walk around and walk through, walk through the property and stuff, I think it's, it just adds that much more to it, right? Because you just get that sense when you're, when you're talking to someone, you're walking around and you hear the boots crunching and. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think that's, we were just talking before we, before we turn on the mic about the sound, right. And just adding that level of texture. I have always appreciated that about your, your show is that the ambient sound. Yeah, absolutely. That was, you know, it was such a, when I think about the podcast and when I think about like 2020, which is when we started, you know, I knew nothing about sound. I had no idea. I had no kind of idea what we were doing. And it's become this like really intensely meaningful part of life that I hadn't really paid attention to. And luckily I have a team of very talented, wonderful professionals who help incorporate that. So I'm not trying to do all of those little things myself, but just how fun it's been and how like eye-opening it's been to, you know, go on a visit with producers and have a microphone and think like what, what sounds are defining the feeling of being here and like, how can we translate this experience and make it, you know, feel meaningful, feel personal, feel very, um, you know, feel, feel very true. It's, it's sort of like terroir. Like, how do you, how can you translate that experience through taste? And, you know, so we kind of have this lofty goal of translating some of that feeling through sound. Not to get too technical into the podcast side of it, but do you feel sometimes that are you conscious of that? Like I've forgotten her name and I'll, I'll quickly look it up because I, I feel really bad, but I chatted with someone and she had a fan going cause it was really hot in San Francisco and I felt really bad, but I was like, all I can hear is the fan. Yeah. Right. And in the same with in person where you're trying to control things, right. And there is something, there's something it's just distracting or it's, you know, it's going to affect the quality. Um, are you more conscious of that now? I, yes. So I was probably the most conscious of it when we started because I didn't understand how things work, like how technically things work. And as soon as you have a microphone on and as soon as you're doing thing, this, and as soon as you're aware of it, I was just, and I still get this, you know, like you're having a conversation and you hear like a sound and I'm just like, you know, looking over, like, I'm like, is that going to mess it up? Or like a car goes by and um, again, luckily I had a good sound team. They weren't with us the entire time, but people were there for different parts of it and really helped to lean into some of those sounds. I mean, that's what's so lucky about the style that we do is we don't have a lot of really intense focused interviews where you want pristine sound, you know, like yeah. because of the way that we do things, we 
can lean into some of those sounds, you like learning to relax into it a little bit, like embrace some of the different sounds. And sometimes there's, you know, like a tractor in the vineyard and we're like, well, we have to move or we're too close to the road. And it's like, we have to move or, um, yeah. Also being, sorry, this, maybe this is more of a rabbit hole than you wanted, but, um, noticing when there's like a, a mic that's like a clipped onto like a lapel and people have like a jacket that makes a lot of sound or like it's rubbing against something. Those are kind of the things that will drive me crazy during an interview where it's like, oh, we've got to move the mic. I can see it <laughs> getting scratchy or something. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because I was almost going to redo one because I had my my uh, Blue Yeti one and it was too much, too much ambient sound. And there was a chiller. Um, it's in a wine bar and there was too much of a chiller going and just again, the hum. Mm -hmm. And I was debating switching to a, uh, to a lapel, to a clip on, cause then it'd be a little bit more, a little bit closer. And uh, just because the other one was just catching too much general sound. Right. So, yeah. um, but I totally agree. Cause I have a friend uh, who's in the UK and he does a lot of uh, uh, Lawrence Francis. He does, a, he does a lot of uh, industry. So he'll talk to chefs. He'll talk to, people within the restaurant industry and stuff. And so you always, his is great in the same sense because he'll get a lot of that background restaurant noise and which adds that charm as well. Yeah. Um, you know, but the same thing, like you'll have some table that's laughing or being, being very noisy. And so you might catch, but, but the general feel of it and the general, the general uh, gist of the conversation you're, you're getting, you might not get every single word for word, but I, I, I agree with you in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We So then we do studio recordings. We kind of, then we write a bit of a script and we do then studio recordings and those we want to be perfect. And those are not usually, they would not be a pleasant thing for anyone to watch or be a part of. Cause that's where like a car drives by in the middle of a sentence and you have to redo it. And um, we usually do it at night cause it's a little quieter. There's not like dogs barking or something. And my partner helps me record those things and he has infinite patience, which is, which is great. I'm very lucky in that sense. Well, and, and though, and I've, cause I mean, obviously I've listened, listened to your episodes and, and it's, those are more of the technical cause those, those conversations you're doing are, are very technical. And so you want the, everything to be very accurate and, and because mm -hmm. you're very, being very specific, whatever you're talking about. So I, yeah, I can see that, that you want to be really nailing down everything. Yeah. So lots of pieces to it. Yeah. So I, I, one thing, I don't know if I've ever asked you this, but how did you decide as a series to do a, a specific location or a specific region, the way you're doing them, how do you decide to kind of narrow it down and, and focus in that sense? Not that it's narrow, but it's, mm -hmm. it's, you've narrowed, you have narrowed it a little bit in that sense, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, it, it's really been feeling our way along the first season was actually supposed to take place in Austria. And that's because the Austrian wine marketing board is really incredible. They have this incredible team of people. I had been there, I think a year before or so, I guess in 2019 or early, maybe early 2020. And I had done like just a tiny bit of work for them. I don't even know if it was really work for them, but little things and we just got along great. I loved working with them. Um, still do whenever I, whenever I have the opportunity and they were super supportive of what we were trying to do. And they, I got an email and they said, we want to do something with you. 
what, like, what would you want to do? And it was by far the first time in my career that anyone had asked me, like, if you could do anything, Mm. what would it be? And so that really snowballed. I had kind of had this idea of, um, mostly they were going to be something like this, but it would be like, uh, visual or like written. And a friend suggested they were like, Oh, if people are going to be in their car. It should be audio. So it wasn't even my idea. Um, and, um, and so, and they just loved it. And so, you know, I had a friend who lived down the street who said he could do some of the audio in it. And we just like got very excited. We had everything planned out. We had flights booked. We had all of the appointments booked, everything. And it was scheduled for March, 2020. So, (laughs) so it just kind of totally fell apart and was really heartbreaking. And I was living in Santa Barbara at the time and we just thought, well, let's just do Santa Barbara. Let's practice, you know, let's see what we can do here. And, and, you know, we did all the interviews outside so that we could be, you know, safely distanced from people. A lot of it was happening during lockdown and, and, you know, then it, then that was what we did and and it kind of worked out and we were so excited about it. I'm, I've been good friends with Paul Wasserman for ever. Um, and he's wonderful and he loved it. And he just said, you have to do, you have to do Burgundy. And I think about that moment all the time. And I'm just like, I can't believe I listened to him. Mm. I was such an idiot. Burgundy couldn't have been more ambitious. It couldn't have right. been harder. <laughs> yeah. Like pick pick the most famous region in the world to be like, yeah, that's my next project. Yeah. When yeah. we started releasing the first episodes, I just remember feeling like complete like such a complete idiot. I was like, who on earth am I to be talking about Burgundy? Like what I had, had never thought about it being, which is stupid, but true. Like I just never thought about it being my voice or it being like you know, I mean, we listen to experts, like in no version of the world, do I call myself a Burgundy expert ever? You know, we communicate with experts and we, you know, try to share those opinions and stuff. But I just was like, I can't believe that I agreed to this. Right. I remember, I think, I can't remember if it was just you and I talking or whether it was in one of your episodes where you said something like, I'm... I think it was one of your episodes where you said, I'm, a, I'm, you know, here I am telling them about their terroir, right? And you're like, who am I, this California girl kind of thing, telling them about their uh, terroir and stuff, right? Was that in your one of your episodes? Or am oh, I imagining I that? Or that I probably say it all the time. I feel that, I feel that way on a regular basis. <laughs> but, and that's also, I think, what we really wanted to capture too was, you know, there's some stuff that I know as a geologist that I can contribute, but it's really more about how we can all contribute to the conversation and, how, you know, what a beautiful medium a podcast is where you can have this conversation, the same, you can kind of show the same conversation with four different people all at one time and show the different corners of it and do it in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming or um, hopefully, I'm, you know, that, that feels like you're getting different perspectives and getting that sense and getting a little bit of geology here and a little bit of, you know, culture stuff here and winemaking expertise here yeah and i think uh from like for me when as as someone who listens i i i also get the historical side as well right so that that i i love i love the fact that you tie in you know obviously burgundy is is 
ranks up there for regions that we can talk about the history of, right? So I do love, I, I, I love your geological side of it, but then also your historical side, because that's obviously a huge factor in people who are listening would want that side as well. So you've obviously taken that into consideration that it's going to be something people would want in a, in a show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so much, especially in Burgundy, there's so much like really ancient human history. And then kind of on top of that or combined with that, there is all of this really ancient tradition in winemaking, in like wine culture and in drinking and in kind of understanding it. And so it's, and it's something that the Burgundians are very proud of and that they feel very connected to. And I think that it became very important to emphasize that because it's a piece of what they do and it's a piece of, you know, their own family histories as well. And so you get all of these layers of like, of what even history means and way, different ways that you can talk about it. Can you give me an example that any stories that you can think of off, off the top of your head or, um, cause I know like, I know lineage is a big thing as well. I, I know when you listen, you talk, you know, people are talking about, it was their grandfather's parcel and that kind of thing. Right. So it's, it's been in the family for, for gener literally for generations. Yeah. So there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of that. I think, I think some of the most interesting pieces that we try to kind of put next to each other are, are some of these families that have a deep history that have generations that have tradition that's been passed down and how they do things and listening to them and how they do that and, and how they're respecting tradition and then how that is both honored and changes mm. with new findings, you know? So all of these young winemakers, whether they're third, fourth, fifth generation or first, whether they're just starting their own project, all want to put their own mark on things. They also want to be moving forward. It's an incredible thing about Burgundy. Mm -hmm. And so they want to, to, you know, keep advancing. And so how do you, so it's all of the different examples of like, how do you honor what's been done in the past while also building something new? And I think everyone that we talk to mentions that. I think the first thing that comes to mind is from the most recent episode, Pascal Mounieret, who had always had, you know, this is kind of pretty detailed, but they, you know, his family had always made a Boudot in um, Nui St. George. And it turns out that due to like a weird, like law loophole, there are three vineyards that can be called Boudot, but there's one that's actually called Boudot. Mm. And he had parcels in the other two vineyards. So Le Lecroix and Richemont and but he called they, their tradition was to call it Boudot. And so he like did that for a while. And then finally he was like, you know, I think I need to make a completely, like, it looks like he's making a completely different wine that's never been offered in their, in their family's history, but they're the same vineyards. And so how do you, you know, that's what he felt was most important to honor the terroir and to kind of respect it and to treat these two places as different. And, and how do you, yeah, how do you all of a sudden, uh, make that change right and yeah without insulting you know yeah. kind of thing right so yeah. and what are the consequences another thing that is interesting that comes up a couple times um this is something that'll be discussed a little bit more i think in the next episode but you know you have people so burgundy is just this blanket of vines on the slope 
And every now and then people think like, oh, I think it's good for the environment if we take out these couple rows and we plant trees. And that is a wildly radical thing to do in Burgundy, which is crazy. <laughs> you know, like some people will say like, oh, here's our orchard. And it's like three trees. <laughs> and it's like, mm. okay. Um, <laughs> but it is crazy. It's like, they're like, well, don't you realize like we had to take out historic vineyards, you know, important vines that could make a lot of money, you know, that this is really taking away from, it's not just not planting something. It's actually taking away from it. And people have feelings about that. Your neighbor, you're right next to neighbors who have vines. Maybe they didn't want shade from a tree there. And so you really think, and Burgundy is such a place of, of how impactful all of those little things are. And so it's like, you think about the, all of the different repercussions and all the different things you have to consider before planting a single tree. It's funny you say that because I mean, that could also be said for some cities where there's developments going up and take out uh, a dozen trees and there's uproar and stuff. Right. And everyone's just, so everyone's just conscious now of their impact, what their footprint is right now. So I think, uh, but I mean, and financially for them to be taken out those vines as well, just, from the financial side of it, from like I said, from the historical side, where those those have been there for quite some time, and uh, actually, this question I, I just thought of was what's what's the turnaround on vines for like how long are they how long are the vines um, like uh, before they're you know uprooted or whatever? Um, in Burgundy specifically, yeah. yeah. You know, I'm not. It really depends. There aren't too many super super old vine i mean as there are in in most of the world because of phylloxera so a lot of things were taken out and so people aren't really sure before then you know the last episode they talk about when they finally pulled out when they finally had to pull out romane conti in 1945 and they think that some of those vines were hundreds of years old Uh. they have no way of knowing how old they were because they had a different way of propagating the vines and Um, you know, I think with a lot of advancements and with a lot of like the ways people are farming differently, you know, we don't really know how long really old, it's very different from California where there are some, you know, especially talking with Abe, where there are these pockets of these ancient, ancient lines. So, yeah, I mean, I think in just, again, talking about the conversation we just talked about with Pascal, you know, he was looking at 50, 60 year old vines as being pretty old. Right. Not like pretty old for, yeah. And that seems to, that's kind of where I was going with that was, I guess, because of new world, it seems to be, that seems to be the, like in the new world mindset, 50 years or somewhere in that ballpark kind of thing. So, you know, Christina Rasmussen as well. Yeah, of course. She's, she's in love with this pigma phylloxera. She's, (laughs) that's like her, speaking about, well, getting the, getting the geek on when it comes to uh, subjects, right? She's, uh, we had a 20 minute discussion on that you forget about how impactful these things are, right? Um, from centuries ago. Yeah, so. really. And how, you know, how things have changed with, you know, modern, the way we look at things in the modern world is, I think, something that isn't talked about that much in Burgundy because we do talk about so much history and we kind of think that's always how it's been. But it's, you know, you see parts of the slope that used to be planted that are no longer planted or parts of the slope that weren't planted that became planted and, you think about the different, um, even the different uses of the slope. We talk a lot about how a lot of the slope was quarried and 
Mm. If it was quarried within, say, the past hundred years, that means there weren't vines there a hundred years ago. So I think that in really thinking about how that part of the world functioned throughout time, it's pretty interesting. And to think about places that, you know, did have vines for hundreds of years is also pretty incredible to think about that tradition. And probably sure. in some cases they had vines and then they were taken out and then they had vines again later. And... Is there any irrigation at all or is it all, is it all dry or is it? Yeah, it's illegal to irrigate. That's what I thought. That's mm -hmm. what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. All on its own. But also, you know, it's a totally different world because summers are pretty wet. You know, they're, they get a yeah. lot of water compared yeah. to anywhere that I've been in California is this past year where it's been really rainy, but they have, they are dealing with a very different set of circumstances that it would be very silly for them to irrigate. Right. Yeah. You know, there's, I think there's talk of, I'm sure people have wildly different opinions about this, but there's talk of like when they have a really serious drought, which they're not familiar with and with climate change and stuff that what happens if you might have to irrigate in somewhere yeah. in France. And that's interesting because like you said, in, in our, on our side of the world, it's, it's more common and there's more with, with climate change and everything else It's much more prevalent for that to be some of the areas of the Okanagan can be very deserty and, and um, very similar to, and then with California, with, with the weather they had recently where, you know, what used to be something that was very dry, super dry. And now it's, uh, it has some crazy weather down there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, and it's an interesting thing to compare to because a lot of people like to say like, Oh, if you have to irrigate, then should you really be growing vines there? And it's like, well, climate change is going to influence a lot of, you know, the quote unquote old world in a pretty serious way that might make people consider that. So it's different. And I, I mean, I am all for dry farming when you can, or, being responsible with irrigation or being, you know, a lot of the work that I do just as a geol on the geologist side of things is thinking, you know, how can we look at this vineyard into areas that are, we can be more responsible irrigating by understanding the terroir, by understanding the geology of it and just be responsible with water, which is important too. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And I think that the tune would change if it came, it came a necessity to irrigate if it was like as a just from tourism, just from the financial side, the economic side, where it's like we may have to change a law or two if we need to irrigate, because if that's the way we're going, then people will make that change if, if it came to it, right? Like the politicians and the laws might have to change if it came to that point, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine it would be an easy thing to do. <laughs> um, I certainly can't, but at the same time, if you're, and again, you know, this is very, very long-term thing, but at the same time, it, there is value in preserving tradition and preserving this historical place for vine growing. Reflecting current vintages is also an important part of what Burgundy does too. They want their vintages to, you know, they want every vintage to taste great, but they also want it to reflect that moment in that time. There's a temporal piece to it that maybe the wines you know what's worse and do you start planting a different grape or do you start irrigating what or or do you just change your farming practices but either way there's there is changing with time you mentioned about um about wanting to establish that piece because every year it seems every year has a particular 
expression and particular, you know, particular uh, face to it, shall we say. My father-in-law, when we went through France about 10 years ago and he picked up from Merceau, he picked up some, some wine and we just opened one, which I felt, you know, it was, a, I think it was a 2008 and we're like, this is only 14, 15 years old. And I felt, I felt like he always joke, jokingly refers to, he's, he's just in his seventies and he's like, I don't even buy green bananas. So how much longer can I, can I wait on this wine kind of thing? Right. So. Yeah, well, it's true. And a lot of people, I mean, the thing about Burgundy, which I should also mention, you know, like people are concerned about climate change, of course, as they are all over the world, but you can't deny that in many vintages, the wines have never been better. They are drinkable, young, they are delicious, they are complex, they are interesting, they don't require 20 years to be set down before they're going to express themselves. And um, obviously, there's lots of consequences to that. Like, what does that mean for aging? No one really knows yet. But most people are like, this is a great thing. Like, we like that we can enjoy our wines a bit younger and, you know, helps sure. them a bit more approachable. I think, I think a lot of people think that that's, that's a good thing. Not everyone has space and time to, to wait. Patience. Yeah. Yeah. Or just patience. I certainly don't. <laughs> well, and it's like how, like his, his seller, my father's seller is like, every time you're opening the door and you're like looking at you, it's, it's staring at you, winking at you. Right. Mm-hmm. How many years, how many years can you do that? And be like, Nope. Yeah. Nope, next year yeah nope, next don't year. be too long <laughs> yeah and that's the other thing is is rather drink it slightly on the younger side than than wait and then be like disappointed when we were in california we went to i think i mentioned we went to ridge and i don't know if i mentioned to you we went to a, uh, the big the big ones we were only there for about five days and we went all over california and we were only in we did russian river valley we did you know nap and and we so we hit the kind of the big ones. We hit Montalena, we hit Ridge, we hit, uh, what else we hit? Um, but we, we did a little splurging. So, um, so I have a few now, uh, sitting in my, in my cellar. Oh, uh, Stag's Leap. It's all the, you know, just, you know, the, yeah, you know, those, great. those old things, right? Sure. Investment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Investment until, like you said, five years from now, I, I look at right. it and I go, yeah, it's been staring at me too long. Yeah that was a great experience just to go through. And that's why, like I said, I want to re-listen to your, your Santa Barbara uh, uh, series because just great going through that area and, and, um, and see, just seeing the history of American wine and California wine. Right. And just from that side of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's its own piece of, of history. Uh, on its own and just those big names like that right so Mm -hmm. yeah and how it's often you know there is this kind of in different ways but you know respect tied towards often especially in Santa Barbara there's a lot of respect tied towards Burgundy and kind of mutual mutual enjoyment and interest and actually our the last episode of this season will be is sponsored by the Hitching Post which is amazing Mm -hmm. Frank Gustini reached out to me, heard an episode and um, he heard the harvest episode and he actually said that he remembered being in Burgundy with Jim Clendenin and that it really moved him. And I just thought like how, how special and how cool is that, especially these two seasons and these two places who have meant, you know, more to me 
than any other place in the world, really, and to kind of have that connection. And so the last episode will kind of have some acknowledgement of that as well, that influence around the world that is in Burgundy and is in everywhere and is why we drink wine. And and we and that was for me when I when I had my chance to go through, I was like, no, there's no other region that given given the time we had, I was like, no, I want to go through Burgundy and I want to make some stops and and just appreciate appreciate what it had to offer. Right? If 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 no other region in France, if I had the chance, that would be the one that we would make sure to spend time in. I think that's one thing actually we haven't even talked about is just the technical side. Like we've, we've, we kind of talked about it here and there, but just some of the technical side of your podcast, some of those reports and stuff, right. And just talking about, you're talking about something about uh, 300 times more. There was something with well, 300 times more dense <laughs> soil or something like that, or yeah. the last episode, there's a lot of technical work that goes into your, your production. Yeah, there is just on, you know, really just on, I mean, there's technical sides on lots of things, but just on the geology side, you know, there's a lot of reviewing things of kind of what can we talk about and what can we say that's really meaningful and how can we, I actually think that's something that on every episode, I think we could do better on in the future is like, how can we make the geology really seamless from the story instead of having like little geology bits, like how can we really make you feel the geology as as the terroir and as like being really interconnected which is kind of my big long-term goal but you know to do that you have to be accurate and precise and yet also have not to overdo it you know not to overwhelm people with jargon or with technical details or with numbers or with things that don't matter so it's always kind of going back and doing that we were so lucky for the Burgundy side to have, you know, I think I spent two or three days with Francois Vanier, who's the the local expert who knows everything and can answer, you know, every question. And she spent a few days with us that we recorded everything. Um, and we just like really drilled her with questions and she has so much information. And so we, we try to include her on every episode to acknowledge her level of expertise and what like a true master she is of that, of, you know, that world. And then that is the starting point for all of the additional research that we do. So whenever, you know, sometimes we reference her, but, you know, we don't have her voice just so that we can have a sense of time. But so it's kind of comparing her interviews, what she's done, her maps that she's made when she has historic maps that have been made and layering that with then the the, you know, our own observations and the producers, the producers, uh, the winemakers, um, you know, observations themselves. And so how can we, we're always working on it, but. I don't want to say challenged, but have you, have you had anybody kind of make comments or comment on any accuracies or inaccuracies? Have you had anybody kind of, um, you know what I mean? Like people always seem to want to try and find the, find the fault, right? Yeah. Um, um, luckily not. I think, I mean, we do a lot of work to fact check everything. For sure. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, Francoise is the expert. So that's where, you know, there are certainly maps that will say different things, but we go with her, we go with her direct observations whenever possible. And then I usually try to be a bit more vague about 
things that aren't her direct observation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, geologic maps are, are usually done at a scale, you know, regional geologic maps are done at a scale that aren't meant to reflect a vineyard. And so we try to kind of step back and, and generalize a little bit. Mm. Um, on your comment about the 300 times deeper, we were actually, that was kind of a bit of a, a bit of a fact check in itself, because the point of it wasn't that the soil was actually 300 times deeper um, between these two vineyards who are neighboring each other. But the point was her understanding Marie Andre Munier's understanding of the depth of the unconsolidated material really okay. deep there. And so we do point out that it's not really the topsoil that's 300 times deeper, but what she's talking about is this unconsolidated material. And we also reference that, um, you know, just as an example of the layers that go into it, we reference in the episode that Francoise would say most likely that that is a more gradual change, that it's probably not quite as big of a jump. Mm. But that's, you know, that's a piece of the story that people understand about this kind of drop into the into the breast grabin and this like, which is very true. Like there is this incredible kind of sink of of alluvial material that comes down the valley. So yeah, so there's lots of, but you know, most people, you know, there's, you know, we check multiple things. And, you know, in this last episode, there was a vineyard where Jasper Morris said it was Comblanchian, but Francoise said there is grizzly tay. Um, <laughs> again, go with Francoise. There's probably both. It's a big vineyard. There's probably right. a thing, but we can't always get into everything. People are a little intimidated by the geology. So that's not where they get, that's not where I've gotten any correction. I think kind of, gen you know, how generally people love to uh, look for, you know, look for inaccuracies or whatever. So um, yeah. I mean, I will also say I am so terrified of that. <laughs> that is what keeps me up at night in the last couple days before an episode comes out. And I absolutely make cuts like the day of the episode coming out because I'm like, am I sure? Like, do I right. have double referenced? And, and you just start second guessing right. absolutely everything. And I will say people have been, every time I put out an episode, I'm just positive that someone's going to be like, this right. is wrong and and who right. are you to say you know anything and it totally haunts me and you know people have been like so kind and so generous and i'm sure there are mistakes and that there are inaccuracies and if we find them we will correct them but i i think people understand how much work goes into it too and and people have been really really supportive which is great well and i think it's also your your method as well right your 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 very approachable your podcast is very approachable so it's it's the knowledge you're giving is is given with Ernst and with um with no kind of um boastfulness or no kind of uh you know what I mean it's it's very straightforward but it's also very you're trying to be as accurate as you can and um yeah. so I don't think there's any kind of uh you know malice in that sense right so yeah um, you know this last episode we almost had like a huge, I probably shouldn't even tell this story, but we almost had like a huge mistake. I only have 20 listeners, so don't worry about it. So <laughs> because I was I'll tell my mom not to listen to this episode. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. Listen to that part. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but I was doing all of this research about the Prince of Conti. And I had like three books out. I had Paul's interview. I had Jasper's interview. 
I had, you know, all of these things and I couldn't figure it out. I'd listened to a couple other podcasts and someone said something about like the Prince of Conti was a cousin of Louis the 15th. And I was like, that's cool. Mm. I want to talk more about that. Or, you know, like you just go into these rabbit holes. And so I started researching it. And then I was like, who was the Prince of Conti? And I got like, just crazy. At some point I was, you know, trying to like Wikipedia, everything. At some point I'd drawn out like a family tree of like, okay, so this person was married to this person and they had this son and the Prince of Conti's. And I was like, I don't know, is he a cousin? And I'm just like, what if I'm wrong? And I finally had kind of, I'd written that section and I had kind of given up. And then my partner got, he was like getting into the chatbot GPT thing. Okay. And one evening he was like, for fun, he was like, you've got to check out this chat bot. And I was like, no, thanks. And then he was like, just ask me any question about Burgundy. And I was like, all right, who was the Prince of Conti? I was like, maybe I can sneak some like research out of this. And so I did. And he like had the, I don't know why I called the chat bot a he, but the chat bot had all of this information and kind of like went into it. It talked about like his love affairs. It talked about who he bought the vineyard from and all of this stuff. And it was like all this great information. And I was like, I have to use this. And so I went and I rewrote the whole section and I put all this stuff in and it finally got, and I was like, oh, do I have to cite a chat bot? In the- <laughs> like, how do you do that? And so luckily, as I was thinking that I was like, how, this is a horrible story. I can't believe I'm telling it right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's great content it's great content (laughs) i was like oh maybe i'll see if i could just you know double check these resources so i don't have to cite the chatbot i can cite like encyclopedia or or something else and it turns out that when the chatbot doesn't have all of the information it just makes stuff up oh my god seriously yes and so half of the information was totally wrong like to the point of like who he bought the vineyard from his name was wrong at some point. And so luckily caught that and ended up having to go and re-research it all myself and take out a bunch of this like flowery story about the Prince of country that was completely made up by a robot. (laughs) But that's, that's really funny. That again, and don't do research using a chat bot because it's something called like hallucinogenic that I, yeah, I wasn't over my head. That's hilarious. <laughs> that almost reminds me of the, um, there was a mad TV. I think it was mad TV where it was like Alexa for seniors when they'll just ask random questions. And then the seniors will still be like, I don't know about that. I don't know about yeah. that. And then they'll just, answer, they'll just basically put out nonsense for them. And they'll be like, I don't know about that. <laughs> right. So, Yeah. 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 Or you you always have that one random friend who will thinks that he knows it, and then you're like, "You sure? Yeah. You, you sure that? You sure with that one? Yeah. That's yeah. funny. And like you said, how do you cite that? What? How do you reference that? So I heard it from somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Rumor has it. <laughs> funny. Here's a question for you. So on my, um, I use Podbean for recording our or my episodes and, or, you know, distributing them and stuff. So they'll always say what, you know, how many people from different countries and stuff. I'm assuming you have something similar. Yeah. So you can see where your listeners come from and stuff. What's, what's the general, 
what's the general uh, breakdown? And then where is it more, where's the craziest? Because there was one, I can't remember where it was. It was like fourth and they always have the food and food and whatever it is, uh, food and wine, I guess, category. And there was like, I was fourth in the country, but it was some random country in the middle of nowhere. So um, yeah. I was big, big in Moldova or something. I don't even know where it was. It was some random place. Yeah. It's so cool. You know, so we have, I haven't checked it super recently, but we have listeners in over 50 countries around the world, which is amazing and wonderful and just crazy to think about. Um, Our top markets are mostly English speaking markets. So the United States, of course, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. Actually, we have a, a pretty a pretty big listenership in Australia and New Zealand, which is great. And then, um, you know, Western Europe. So France, of course, because we have, you know, a, a French focus season right. in the UK yeah. and um, Germany and Austria where, you know, I have you've done some work, I think kind of helped get things going in some sure. of those places. And then, you know, we just have amazing little pockets of, yeah. you know, South Africa, South America, um, you know, I think most of the, you know, most of the like little island Asian countries, which I just think is amazing. We have since for a long time, we have, I think we have like one dedicated listener in the United Arab Emirates who seems to listen to each episode. And I'm just like, so cool. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so exciting. You'll get some random just random different countries and you're like, yeah, there's, there's a, a one family apparently in some, you know, some country where the, you know, the entire mm-hmm. family listens or so, you know what I mean? So, something yeah. kind of weird like that. Yeah. This kind of catches on. Yeah, yeah. I think it's what a, what a wonderful thing that, For you know, sure. we have a hosting platform. I, I wonder if it will change in, you know, in the world of podcasting that, you know, up until, up until now you can be, a totally independent person who creates a podcast and puts it out to the world and can be on the same Apple charts as things that are made by Apple or things that are made mm-hmm. by Spotify. And I just think that that's like a pretty amazing thing that's happening. And I think, you know, there's so much of podcasts being bought and, and you know, consolidated under other things that mm-hmm. you wonder if there will be a day when podcasting is as independent as it is now and right who knows i have no idea but i yeah what an awesome opportunity that you and i can can create these things and can share these things to the world without you know without needing to be a, a big deal or without right. needing to have a, a ton of money or right someone to someone to put it on a platform for us well and, and you because you were talking about like your santa barbara series with people could be driving down the highway and be listening and, and, you know, be like pointing out different spots where you're, you're talking about. And I find I've had people chat about they're at home and they will listen and they're cooking dinner. And it's just, it's a nice background while they're doing, you know, they're cooking dinner or they're doing something. And and the same thing where people will be driving one guy in Spain that he would message me. Uh, he's a, a British expat living in Spain and he would, every time he's on the commuter train, he would have a, the podcast going as he's on the train and stuff. Right. And uh, yeah. so I like that visual from that side where you're, you can appreciate what people are doing while they're listening. Right. 
Yeah, you know, and, you know, something I hadn't thought of, we were in Burgundy this last summer, we did harvest there. And I met a couple young girls from, I think they were from New Zealand. And they were doing harvest there as well. And they were young students and they'd heard the podcast and they'd heard of it, you know, totally on their own before they came. And they were so excited and appreciative to have had something that made them feel kind of prepared to be there and made them, you know, a different kind of a resource. And I just thought that that was exact, like so amazing. And it was exactly what we'd hoped. And we wanted to make this intimidating fate place feel a little more comfortable and feel a little less like a wall to climb and and to you know the people who are there love it so much and they want to share that so much and to be able to kind of help share what makes it really special I just was like I just thought it was so cool that mm-hmm. like and that global global influence that we had because we you know pay $35 a month for a hosting platform that allows us to share it to the world, which is awesome. Well, and I mean, I've said this too, that, that, you know, next to, or along with someone like Levy Dalton, the, the level of detail and the level of, um, um, I guess just the level of firsthand, hang on one second. My infamous Chihuahua who always gets in every episode. Two hours. Yeah, um, I, I I couldn't agree more because your your show lends that a level of of uh, knowledge and you know Levy Dalton and yourself in my books are the are the two the two on the top of the list for uh, adding that level of detail and level of knowledge so that people can like you said like they they felt prepared after listening to your your show to be like. I know, I know about France. I can, I can, you know. Yeah. Yeah. A true resource about, you know, about an intimidating and hard to, hard to reach wine region. That's for free. You know, that is available for free. And I definitely want to comment on Levy quickly because I think what he did for podcasting in the wine industry and what he's done in terms of giving the respect and time and attention to so many important people is just, I mean, you know, definitely the standing on shoulders of giants sort of a thing of like, he really started that and he created something beautiful. And if you look through the history of his episodes, you can really see how he learned about the process and how, you know, how good, how good those episodes became and how, how just full of respect for the people he was interviewing there is there. I just, you know, definitely. I mean, that was how I got into podcasting at all yeah. was, yeah. you know, through him and through his encouragement as well. And an amazing, amazing resource that, and, you know, now some of these people who have passed away, you can go back and listen to their voice and have recorded some of their history is priceless. I couldn't agree more. And and to, to give someone that honor of having their their history captured for forever right so yeah that's uh well put i think that's a good place to leave it right yeah Yeah. thank you so much i really appreciate it yeah thank you so much thanks for having me again and for talking about all of the podcast details that i don't often get to talk about like things i'm obsessed with in the 
in the secrets so well and, and we didn't even talk about lo- like your logistics as well like like for you to be able to to capture so many people on such a a time crunch in a lot of ways right like to just from you to get there and then to get people organized. And I know a lot of it obviously is snippets here and there that you've put together. You're not there for a year. I mean, you're, you're only there for a short period of time. So it's, you have to have crunched it down in some ways. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was pure. Uh, I don't even know how you could describe it. it wasn't intelligent planning, but <laughs> you know, I, I often say we did like six weeks of recording when we were there and I was like, oh yeah, that almost killed me probably, but, <laughs> but it was awesome. And now it's, you know, we were set out to do six episodes and I think there will be 10 that nice. will have taken two years to do, which is crazy and not something I probably would have signed up for if I'd known I have, but wouldn't change a thing. <laughs> wouldn't nice. change a thing now. And but yeah, it's been a been a journey, and so thank you so much for being interested and for listening. Oh, of course, and yeah. and it shows it shows in the episode. It shows that it is a journey, and and uh, it shows that um, your level of commitment to the journey as well. So, um, no, I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. Always. Well, we'll talk soon again. I think we're going to leave it there for now. Thanks for listening. For more wine conversation and podcast updates, you can follow us on Instagram at Ian's Wine Truths. Check out our website for great photos of our guests. Friendsofthevine.podbean.com Take care. Have a glass for me. Pinot or Riesling or something? I like Pinot. He does like Pinot. I do like Pinot. Oh, it's such a Pinot. Pinot, Pinot, Pinot.